In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. gentlemen welcome back to the true life podcast we are here with dr desmond wallington phd licensed psychologist provider of ketamine assisted psychotherapy political activist the the individual who's got a very big proposition coming up in his state that we're going to get into today dr desmond wallington would you please be so kind as to maybe introduce yourself and and fill in anything that i have left out Okay, yeah. Um, I, I've been a licensed psychologist since like 2011, 2012. You, you, you lose track of things eventually. Um, 2019, or, so counseling psychology, a lot of research on like post-traumatic stress disorder, resilience, that type of stuff. Um, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, and in 2019, I just kind of like stumbled upon the 2019 campaign here in Denver to decriminalize psilocybin. Um, that just kind of put me on a different trajectory, I, I guess, in my focus and um, practice area. Um, it shifted, like, it went from trauma to trauma and psychedelics and depression and psychedelics and mental health and, and psychedelics. Um, um, I, 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 I'm a voting member of the local state and National Green Party. So I, I'm super, oh, are we there? I, I'm to the yeah. left. And, and then I, that's, that's how I got introduced into the psychedelic space. Are you there, George? I am. I was kind of freezing up on me a little bit right there. Maybe it's the connection or oh, something, no. but it's okay. I, I can hear you. It just kind of froze up on the screen for a minute. Let me see. Hello. Yep. I, I can hear you. Oh, uh, okay. okay. There you are. Okay. All right. Perfect. We, we had a little bit of delay. Um, and um, so I, I've been doing that, been working with ketamine 
um, since 2020. Um, happening here in Denver and we are this election day. We're all voting on that and we'll see how those uh, cards fall. Yeah. So prop 122 in Denver, it's a, it's a process of decriminal. I'm sorry, Colorado. It's a process of decriminalization, but you have an interesting take on it. Would you be so kind as to maybe fill people in on what it's about and what you think about it? Yeah. So there's like maybe three different um, components to it. There's a, a, a statewide decriminalization. So possess and gift psilocybin, mescaline, DMT, and ayahuasca. Um, I don't think anything should be criminalized. I, I think if you're caught with heroin or methamphetamines, like jail is probably not the best thing for you. Um, but so, but it does decriminalize those uh, plant medicines, I, I, I guess. And psilocybin's a fungi, not not a plant. But you, you get where I'm going. Um, expungement. If you have any type of criminal history, just regarding one of those four substances there's a way of getting that expunged from your uh, criminal record, which housing, food stamps, you, you know, if you're trying to get any type of social service or um, a job even, right? Like you, you, you don't need that shit on your record, yeah. right? Um, that That's bad news for you. Um, so let's do that. All about that. Um, and, and then it creates a regulated access model. Um, which, which means that, um, sometimes I hear people say like, I, I, I'm really interested in psilocybin. I, I, I see all the research that Johns Hopkins is doing. I, I, um, I, I, I did mushrooms in college. Um, but, but I, I feel like I could use a therapist or, a, or a, some sort of facilitate, facilitator guidance to, to do this work. Um. And maybe I don't really feel safe doing it on my own. Like, you, you, you know, like I want to make sure, like, like, like I have guns in the house. We're Colorado. We love our guns. Um, and, and I don't want to do something to put myself at risk, you, you, you know, kind of thing. Or what if I walk and hit my head on the counter going to the bathroom kind of thing. Um, it would just be nice to have someone there. And so people do value the the role of a a sitter or a therapist or some sort of facilitator during those sessions. And maybe those people doing those services should be licensed with the state. So you're not left to your own devices because there is a lot of issues within the psychedelic medicine space around like sexual predators taking advantage of people under the influence. And I, I had a patient point out to me the other day, like um, even like in the AA space, it's like guys that will go to AA meetings and they, they're not alcoholics, but they just want to meet vulnerable women wow. and, and prey upon them. So there, there are people who are in it for the wrong um, reasons. Um, and then what happens is like you, you find one of these people and they hurt you and, and then you can't go to the police because the police are going to be like, 
what were you doing, you know, doing drugs with a stranger, you ran off the internet kind of thing. Um, so there, there, there does need to be some layer of like consumer protection in, in, in this space. And that's what I think Proposition 122 does uh, under regulated access is provide consumer protection. Yeah, I, I would recommend everybody check out your article and I'll, I'll link it in the show notes. I I liked the article for a lot of reasons. I thought there was some funny parts in there when you compared the Elon Musk's to the uh, Maria Sabina's. For yeah, those yeah. who might not know, that was really funny, man. Well done. You're a good writer. Can you maybe explain to people what that little dichotomy is? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So one of the concerns too uh, about Proposition 122 is that... Um, I remember what when was it? 2012, Colorado and uh, Washington State were the first states to legalize recreational cannabis, right? And, and what happened was, yeah, a, a bunch of rich white dudes just opened dispensaries and they got all the money, right? And cannabis has been a multi-million, maybe billion dollar. I don't know. A, a, a lot of white guys make money. Sorry, I'm not yeah. calling you out. Um, oh, how do you? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> not you, not. Uh, but um, and, and that's a concern because there's the issue of equ equity and um, equality. And then a lot of people who have been maybe or who come from marginalized backgrounds because you, you look at um, police records and like if you're an African American caught with cannabis, you're more likely to be sentenced to jail and get a civil sentence than a, a white person that is arrested with cannabis and sent to jail. So then if you have that certain record that a black person might statistically disproportionately have, that that, that excluded you from participating in, in, in the recreational cannabis market because you had a criminal record, sorry, you don't meet the criteria to participate in, in, in that um, uh, can in the space of cannabis in Colorado. Um, now that it's been legalized, yikes! Yeah, that that's fucked up. Let, let, let's call a spade a spade. Yeah. Um, so there's a concern that that's going to, like this idea that um, decriminalizing like psychedelics and creating a, a space for a regulated access to psilocybin it is going to create a, another boondoggle for white men to come in and swoop in and, and to galvanize the space and to financially benefit from it. Um, well, that's an interesting idea and that's okay. Interesting to think about. Um, I, I, I do think there's like maybe two different ideas that might be necessary to kind of think through to to make that conclusion. One is the idea that, um, like I said earlier, the Johns, Hop Johns Hopkins research is already happening. Um, by 2025, like guesstimate is that like all their research will be done. Um, uh, psilocybin will be the FDA will give its seal of approval to um, 
psilocybin-assisted therapy, which will be the first time the FDA ever approves any type of psychotherapy. Um, like going to graduate school, I learned about like cognitive behavioral therapy, like um, behavioral therapy, um, psychoanalysis, humanistic therapy, existential therapy. The FDA has never given their seal, seal of approval to any type of therapy. But this will be the first time that they give their seal of approval to a, a um, type of psychotherapy because there is a medication attached to it. So uh, the first one coming down the line will be MDMA. And, the, and then the second one after that will be uh, psilocybin. Um, and so it, that will create a, a framework where the pharmaceutical industry can come in you know, we're developing synthetic psilocybin. I'm aware of like some companies developing like transdermal psilocybin mm. that might have like, um, a little, it might not have the nausea effects and like the GI problems because serotonin is really similar to psilocybin. So it has so serotonin, serotonin receptors in your gut gives you like cramps and, you know, maybe might make you have to like, GI problems kind of stuff. Right. You know where I'm going with that. I know exactly. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, MDMA is already synthetic. M MDMA is a der derivative of mes mescaline. Uh, mescaline's been around forever. Um, around the 20s, they developed MDA, and then from from a, der a derivative of uh, mescaline, and then from MDA, they created MDMA. So um, even though it's not masculine, it, it, it does kind of, it is in that family tree uh, of psychedelics. Um, but that does create like a really exclusive space where you, you, you think about like how many people out of a hundred people have graduate degrees that are licensed therapists. And then how, do, um, how many of those people who are licensed therapists are trained to provide the specialized care of uh, psychedelic therapy? So uh, again, like only the richest of the rich will be able to have access to those therapists. So, so that's, that's a common. Um, yeah. and, and then, and that'll be nationwide like from like Maine to Arizona, California. So in Utah, Indiana, I'm a native Hoosier, Redis of the Red States. I, right. I, I know that um, it's just going to be accessible and it's only going to be accessible to people who can afford those medicines. It, it is foreseeable that a person in Utah will be able to get like legal access to psilocybin uh, assisted therapy, but they won't be able to have access to cannabis like they do in Colorado. So that's, so that's something to think about. Like, so I guess I'm, yeah. I, I guess I'm a little, I'm thinking about the, so it sounds to me like the federal law that, you're, that there's a federal law coming through that's going to make it accessible it's, it's, is it going to be like a licensing thing? Like that seems to be what it's going to be. It's going to cause the people that have the money to be the ones that buy the licenses and are able to distribute it. Is mm -hmm. that versus yeah. the 
versus the mom and pop shops. They are going to get just wiped out because they don't have the money. They don't have the resources. They don't have the, the connections or the lobbyists to the senators to get in the corruption part of it. I, I guess on the topic of the on psilocybin, if they make psilocybin legal, does that make all the analogs legal, like the four ACODMTs and all these little analogs of psilocybin? Would those become legal because psilocybin's legal, or are those in a totally different area? Are you talking about in Colorado or in like Utah? I get. Let, let's start in Colorado with the law, okay. and then we can maybe move okay. to the federal. Okay, so the Colorado law, it, 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 it's very maybe rigid. Psilocybin, okay. mescaline, DMT. And Ibogate. Okay. So none so of the analogs then. Um, that, that might be a little unclear. Like, and, know, and that's but, a valid question. Yeah. Um, but um, so I, I guess you, you, you think. Of, so the thing is, too, like maybe one of the differences to think about is like people might not want the analogs. Like, Maybe the like the the thing that's really abrasive and um, uncomfortable for them is like, yeah, sure, I could go to like a, a, a medical facility and I could do psilocybin there, but it's a synthetic psilocybin, and and that money is tied to big mm -hmm. pharma, like, um, like I said in the article in 19, the nineteen fifties, nineteen sixties, um. Sandoz Pharmaceuticals held, held the patent to that. Um, now, I don't know who's making it, um, but wh whoever is making it, like my money is going to be going to some um, pharmaceutical exec. Gross. Like, how am I supposed <laughs> to have a farm? How am I supposed to have like a spiritual yeah. kind of experience knowing that? Um, versus, like, okay, like I. I, I found some guy who's advertised and he's got the credentialing, you know, through the state. And I, I'm just eating like a mushroom that was grown like in the dude's basement or, you know, in a facility. Um, I know I'm eating the mushroom. That's what I want. It, it yeah. is the actual like organic material uh, of the plant. So I, I think that's where like the interesting thing is, is like giving people the option of like, yeah, you can, you can go to a medical space and get like a synthetic psilocybin, or you can go to like some person who's taken courses and learned and passed the test and, and they'll give you the real deal mushrooms and that's your option. Um, I, I don't know like which one's better, uh, but, but, but I do think like the issue of supply and demand mm. is an issue because I'll tell you like that my heart of hearts, I'm like, yeah, you probably do need the therapist. You probably do need the medical setting. Um, but I understand like one part of me understands like, yeah, that's like, one person for 200 people yeah kind of thing and the other one it might be one person for 25 people kind of thing and when you look at like the potential for abuse and um exploitation 
that if you really come through that like idea of like harm reduction, you, you, maybe the person you, you just want to reduce the amount of risk that you can cause for for the general population. So I, I do think expanding the um, pool of providers out there and who've done the training and the education um, for you know, the single mom who's trying to work through her trauma that she can, she's not like on a, a wait list for three years for a, a treatment kind of thing because post COVID we all know like what the mental health, you know, uh, yeah. issue is for everyday people. Yeah, I wish I wish everybody had a really cool friend because it seems like such a better setting if you have like a really cool friend who's done psychedelics or maybe a cool friend who's done a lot of them, then that cool friend could really grab your hand and walk you through the things you need to learn. And it makes me sad to think how many people are out there that are interested in this but don't have that connection or that cool friend that may have done yeah. this or may have access to it because I, I think that there has to be a line somewhere. Like clearly there's people that are on the you know there's people that are have the possibility to really flip out if they take psychedelics but i think that that could be answered in a questionnaire like have you had these different types of mental disorders in the past like there's ways we could go about clarifying or at least tightening down the group of who might be susceptible to needing to see it in a clinical uh, arena versus someone who is probably fine in a different sort of home setting or a different set in setting and I wish there was some sort of questionnaire or something like that. Another thing that interests me. That's a good point. Yeah. Like, I think That's like one of the things like I've been talking about. Like I have friends working in Oregon. And, and, uh, and I know one of the conversations happening there is like, okay, so someone comes in and they want to do psilocybin. Like if it's someone that has like a lot of trauma history, like how do we funnel that person into to connect with a mental health provider? If it's someone, some rich like tech bro, who just wants to like expand his his mind, right? And just he doesn't have trauma, he doesn't have anything, but he just wants to learn and have that experience. Yeah, like how do we connect him with like the guy, the really cool friend with the high school degree, right? Like the, the guy doesn't need to have like a doctoral degree, right? You know to have that experience. So, like, how do we like pair these people? Right. I think you. I think we could give them a the book. Right. I think we yeah. can make them read. Ask them to read, like, maybe read the island, or maybe read Brave New World, and tell me your yeah, thoughts yeah, on it. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. by Your's reading those, yeah, 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 yeah. What do you think about this book? And then yeah. you could probably put them in one category or the other. Like, I think it's a really good idea, or this is a horror, yeah. you know. But I and maybe not those books, but I bet you there's a questionnaire. I bet we could write a book. Just that, that told a story, a short story about something, and then get people's reflections on it. I bet mm -hmm. you Cole Butler would be awesome at this. Yeah. But I, I think that there could be a set of short stories people read in conjunction with a questionnaire, and then you could really get an idea of who people are. You could really do a personality test that way and be like, okay, this person is is a little bit obsessive compulsive. There's a good chance that they're going to get stuck in some sort of time loop and freak out a little bit. Yeah, Maybe their yeah. first setting should be here in this place or yeah, something yeah. like that. You know, exactly. I'm also, yeah, that's, I'm good, also, that's what we need to do. Exactly. Yeah. I think it sounds awesome. It's and in a way, it's super exciting for me to get to be on the cutting edge and talk to people about 
what's happening here and what we can do to make a difference. And it's so amazing to me to see that people of all ages, all experiences and all education levels are at this junction where we can come together and make a decision going forward. Even though it seems to me Big Pharma's poised to come in and do what they always do, it doesn't mean that we can't have some tributaries that kind of shoot off the main river right there and, and, and really change things. It's a great analogy. Ah, thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, exactly. Because um, I know not everyone can have access to the, the big pharmaceutical model. And people yeah. who are have mental health problems who are desperate will sometimes go and put themselves in really vulnerable situations. And there, there does need to be some sort of consumer protection yeah. in, 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 in this arena, especially because you're, again, a non-ordinary state of consciousness, you're, you're vulnerable, and you, you, you just don't want to like find some random person off the internet and just assume that you'll be safe with them. Yeah. Um, I, I had a recent conversation with Dr. Rick Strassman and I had asked him, do you think what's happening here with like psychedelics could be shut down the same way it was in the sixties? And he mm -hmm. said, without, without even blinking an eye, he goes, yeah. He's like, don't think that there's not going to be another uh, Jonestown Kool-Aid event. Don't think that there's not going to be another Manson out there. Like those people are out there. And just with the law of numbers and the law of vulnerability, like it's a good chance it could happen. And if it does happen, you could see the authorities or the people in positions of authority come in and try to close things down or clamp down really hard. So it's so that's, that? that's a funny point um, that you, you you cite those people because if you go back and you look at like um, there were kind of two major laws that happened in the late sixties and early seventies that addressed. Um, psychedelic possession one was in 1968 under um lyndon b johnson and um the senator was thomas dodd i think he was like operating in the senate subcommittee against like against juvenile delinquency which was uh, originally created to address like comic books <laughs> you know once upon a time um, and so they had this whole issue, like in, um, like Sandoz Pharmaceuticals had kind of let their, um, patent lapse and they had kind of shut down their research around like LSD and psilocybin for LSD. It was called Deliciad and psilocybin. Mm -hmm. It was called Indocybin. Um, so the, they had passed a measure in 1965 that created like a, a federal law around like if you were caught with any type of controlled substance that it created like a mandated um, uh, uh, like treatment regimen or intervention. Like you, you had to go to rehab kind of thing. Um, however, during that time, shortly after that time, Sandoz had let those um, patents lapse. So people were making LSD and uh, growing psilocybin like it was going out of fashion kind of thing. Like, you, you, you know, and Sandoz never didn't have the, the patent uh, on those drugs anymore. Um, so anti-war movement 
anti-Vietnam stuff was happening. So they really had to buckle down because they were no longer protected under that 1965 legislation. So they had to expand it in 1968 to uh, be inclusive of those. Um, and one of the like interesting, so it, it's, it, it's going to sound like I'm making this up, but I promise you I am not. Um, so they had to bring in a, a doctor and this guy, the doctor that they brought in was like a, a genetic specialist. Uh, and, and he said, so like his main claim to fame was like in the early 60s, he impregnated the first male baboon. Um, the baboon never carried the um, pregnancy to full term. He said he aborted it. And when asked for like the research documents about it, he, he said he destroyed them. So this was the guy they brought in, um, and 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 then there was a a young woman who had given birth to a um, small gave birth to a baby, and the the baby had like underdeveloped limbs, um, you know, like not like a partial arm, partial leg kind of thing, um, and she said, "Oh, well, I did LSD during my my, my pregnancy." And that's why my baby had the, those birth defects kind of thing. And so that, that it's really important to kind of maybe understand because there, there were two things. In fact, LSD is created from ergot. Ergot poisoning ha, has been an issue for a large poison, uh, portion of our, like, uh, of history. Uh, ergot grows on like rye and wheat crops, um, and it does create like um, it, it can cause like uh, spontaneous abortions. You, you know, there's a, a a example of like in um, somewhere in Europe, like once upon a time, like a, a small village had like a lot of rye crops get like so much ergot that like it became er airborne like like mm. seasonal allergies would and, and all the pregnant women in, in that village like spontaneously aborted their, wow. their children um another side effect of it is called like saint anthony's fire mm -hmm. which causes you to like your, your limbs on the extremity turn black and, and it creeps up so you have to like amputate the limb because if it gets to the chest, you, you, you die kind of thing. Um, however, ergot has been used for a significant history of time among amongst uh, like midwives, like um, because it does help to um, like stop uh, postpartum bleeding. Um, because after the baby's born, that was a, a frequent cause of death. Uh, was women bleeding to death afterwards. Mm. So the ergot intervention helped to kind of freeze everything because when, when it causes uh, like the spontaneous abortion, it causes like the amniotic fluid around the, the fetus to like turn into cement and, and, and the fetus like literally suffocates to death. Mm. Kind of thing. So it, it's had a really kind of interesting hi history w w within um pregnant women 
and then there's an issue of like um, in the late 50s, uh, there was a medication that was FDA approved and causing a lot of birth defects, like um, deformed limbs called thalamide, which they were giving to pregnant women to help um, address morning sickness. Um, so this guy was trying to make the case that LSD was, you know, it's made from ergot, and we know right. ergot causes, like, um, St. Anthony's fire. And remember, the FDA, like, a, a decade ago, caused, uh, allowed thalamide to come out on the, the market, and it caused all these birth defects with, with, with children. Um, and, and there was a lot of fear around that time because of that, those two things. Um, and then, like, so that research never panned out, never be true, you know, and it was just based off this, like, one anecdotal right. evidence of this one person. Um, and, and then you, this guy, Cecil Jacobson, just kind of appeared off, disappeared off, like, the public radar for um, a couple decades um, until the late 80s, early 90s. He was arrested because he was a fertility doctor. He's one of those doctors, like, in that was using his own semen uh -huh. to, to like impregnate women. Um, John Goodman played him like in a Saturday Night Live skit. Um, Melissa Gilbert, everyone's favorite um, 80s, like made for TV movie kind of thing. Seeds of Deception, I think mm. was the name of, uh, of that TV movie. Uh, so this, so that guy created a drug law and we found out like 20 years later that he, he, he's a sexual predator. Um, and then in the 1970s, there was a, you know, the controlled substance uh, abuse law came out. And there was an, one of the main people testifying about that was a guy named um, Dr. Laverne. I think it was Alex Laverne. I'm blanking on it right now. Um, but like, L A capital A capital L A capital V E R N E. Um, he 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 was saying that like cannabis and psychedelics were responsible for the Malay massacre. Um, yeah. you, you know that all these kind of hippies were strung out, and you know they just like killed all these poor people in Vietnam. Um. And he later, um, again, he kind of fell out of the public eye for a little while. And, and then in the late 70s, he re emerged in um, everyone's favorite tabloid magazine, The National Enquirer, <laughs> um, peddling um, carbon dioxide therapy. Mm. He, he said he claimed he cured like depression, anxiety, autism, what they call like mental retardation at that time of carbon dioxide actually people died under his care because you can't be breathing in carbon dioxide um so we we have these two really interesting people with like really questionable medical um uh, uh like consequences to their yeah. to their career that have 
shaped our drug laws um, in, in America and history. And no one ever, it, it, it took me a little while because I did this research in 2019. I was like, well, why did these things become illegal? And you have to like go back and find like the actual like screenshots of the um, uh, congressional records of the, okay. like the, the, the testimony of these people. And, and then you're like, well, let's Google the person's name, you kind of thing. And, and, and then you're like, oh, my God. Like, <laughs> why are we, like, why are these people still relevant? Right. And drug law and drug reform. So, like, it, it, it does maybe, as me as an activist, really cause me to, like, yeah, I, I, maybe I don't, like, necessarily, like, believe, like, um, the experts that get called into these testimonies because psilocybin, DMT, ayahuasca, ibogaine, they, they've been a part of American culture, or not American culture, but um, different cultures throughout the globe for hundreds of thousands of years. Um, and to like, deny the... Um, benefits and that, that they haven't been useful in, in different parts of the world. That is seeing drugs through a very white European lens that, yeah, maybe it wasn't relevant to Western medicine, but these have been in, in use for a long, long time kind of thing. And why are those people's histories like even less relevant than are, are like the white European history. Yeah, it 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 dovetails nicely with. First off, I bet you neither one of those guys did psychedelics, and that's kind of what scares me about the yeah. the pharmaceutical or the 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 people with all the money coming in and taking over. There's so many doctors, and and it seems weird to me that we've gotten away from doctors using the substance on themselves. There was a time <laughs> when doctors would have to be an expert in this particular substance to thoroughly understand what it does. And, and somewhere along the way, we decided that's not the thing to do. But if you look back at different cultures, it's the person that understands the substance that can actually recommend it to you. And in mm -hmm. some cultures, you know, the, the person would take, the person would take the ayahuasca and then they would diagnose the person with the trauma. So, yeah. you know, in some ways I think that, when it comes to the idea of, of, you know, whether it's Prop 122 or pharmaceutical versus the individual, I think there should be some prerequisite for the person to have full <laughs> experience with the psychedelic or the medicine that they're going to give to the person. Only then can you thoroughly understand what the person's going to go through. Only then can you understand how they may react or at least have an idea of the, how they may react. And then you can, you can be such a better sitter. You can be such a better facilitator if you understand the experience in which someone's going through when we look at trauma and you're someone who's dealt a lot with behaviors and psychology if you've been through a traumatic situation it seems to me like the person that grew up having a being abused thoroughly understands the person who was abused in their office and i i just think that there should be more of that. Like that should be something that this whole thing blows up. And it's like, we need to rethink medicine. We need to rethink counseling. We need to rethink these things that can help out the next generation. And 
it's great to go to school and it's great to learn from a book or it's great to learn from a teacher or learn from a guy who knew someone who had a friend that went to the thing, but it's much more advantageous if you yourself have been through it. Like there's a certain kind of degree that should come with that. I, I think that that is sometimes the purpose of tragedy is for you to come out of it and then to come to the other side and help someone up. And I, first off, I want to say thanks to everybody in the community for your activism. Cause I think that you've done this, you've gone out and that's why you were able to help change laws. And that's why you're so passionate about it. So, Thanks for that. Well, all shucks. Um, ah! Let me blush for, for a second. And, and I will tell you, like, um, working with ketamine, like, I, I, I have done, like, um, I've seen how the sausage is made. I, I've done, like, an induction series, and I found a great benefit from it, and I've done several booster maintenance treatments. Um, when you're stressed, you get cranky. You, you shouldn't be cranky all the time when you're a therapist. So it's been really helpful for me. Um, and I'll tell you, like, I've worked with other people coming into the ketamine space, and they always ask, like, well, have you done this? You, 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 you know, kind of thing. And I'm like, oh, yeah, like, I have kind of thing. And, and I'll, I'll tell you, like, that gives me a little bit more street cred. You got your doggy. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes. How did I know? Um, and I, I, I was kind of chuckling as you were talking about that, like saying, like thinking, like I, I remember a conversation I had once with a person who was like, I, I, I wish, uh, like, the doctor who put me on, like, wrongly prescribed me lithium had mm. done lithium be before. You know, you know, kind of thing. Maybe they would have thought twice before, you know, just dispensing me lithium, like it's yep. Pez, like from a Pez dispenser kind of thing. Um. So that you, it, that does give me a little bit of credibility that, like, you know, when I work with people with ketamine, that I can talk about my ketamine experiences and, um, and I know Maps has been doing the best they can of trying to let people doing MDMA therapy to have an MDMA experience. Um, because you, you do want to relate with the provider and, and the person prescribing um, the, the thing on whatever medicine they're working with, you know, on that level. Um, and that's like that maybe the thing big pharmaceutical big pharma has is that like you know um doctors aren't taking lithium or seroquel and you know and all these like heavy antipsychotics and it's probably not appropriate for them yeah okay kind of thing um but it it, it does cause a, a lot of issues for people and, and people do want something the evidence around like SSRIs and some tricyclics and other SNRIs and those traditional um, toolbox that like regular prescribers have isn't the best, you know, tool for them. And, and they've been through them all and, and they want something that's a little bit more, um, that's different, I, I guess, than the, the regular um, psych med 
uh, intervention that you might get, you know, from your PCP. And the psychedelics, you, you, you do want the person to have a little bit of experience of what they've, what yeah. they're about to go through and to be able to hold space and to understand. Um, I, I understand like, you, you know, like, um, I, 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 I wasn't in war in Iraq or, um, Afghanistan or Yemen or wherever, you know, the U S has been at war for the past 22 years. Um, but I might understand trauma and I might understand anxiety and I might understand depression. Um, I, I, I might be able to help someone who's had those war experience, but just because I haven't had that same that same war experience doesn't mean that like that our relationship and our bond that there can't be some sort of therapeutic rapport there that helps to facilitate healing. Um, so you, it does help to have a little yeah. bit of trauma and experience, but you don't necessarily have to have the same trauma right. and experience of the person, you, you know, that you're working with. That brings me to this other, and this is a, this is kind of a, uh, an interesting question that's been on my mind. And as I'm curious to get your opinion on it, do you think that certain types of psychedelics pair better with different types of traumas? Like, let's say, and I'm just throwing this out here. I have no idea. And I'm, I'm not a doctor by any means, but I, I I'm curious to get your opinion. Like, do you think maybe ketamine being a disassociative might be a little bit better therapy for someone who has had been abused sexually versus psilocybin being better for a different type of trauma? That is a great question. Thank you. And that is a, a, a common conversation and question that I, a lot of people have. Um, and the honest question is no one knows because we haven't been able to do this research. Um, you, you know, maybe ketamine might be really good for OCD and maybe mm -hmm. MDMA might be really helpful for sexual assault or, or maybe it might be a thing like where we start you off of ketamine and then we transition you to yeah. psilocybin and then we transition you to something else. And it's a building process. That's a great idea. There's there's a lot of fun research questions here that yeah. no one has had, and I I would be an asshole if I claimed to know like right. which one w w was best. And um, you you always want to say it like it's okay that I don't know. I yeah. don't think anyone knows. <laughs> I, I, I I try to keep abreast of the research, mm -hmm. uh, but I, I I do think you you know there's lots of interesting research around like. LS, like microdosing LSD and like um, Alzheimer's or Parkinson's mm -hmm. and there's like all kinds of there's research around like psilocybin and uh, smoking cessation there's research around you, you, you know all these different substances with these different things and, and we really haven't because of all the research that kind of got shut down in the 50s and 60s we, we are in a stage of arrested development uh, around all these medications and, and, and we're really trying to play catch up right 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 now because it, it's shameful we don't know more about these things than what we 
could have not could have known had these trials and clinical trials been able to continue on you know in, in the 60s and 70s but the um um you, you know the pro-war kind of movement kind of derailed them you, you know at that time do you think maybe the introduction to some of the big pharmaceutical companies would bring more money into the system for these kind of studies <laughs> yeah. yeah that's kind of the funny thing right <laughs> um uh, I, I always laugh about this because you, you know this idea of like a, a psychedelic capitalism kind of makes <laughs> yeah. me chuckle just because i like kind of um um uh uh just not like on the uh, idea that like um I, I have friends who go to the dispensary once a week and they buy all the cannabis they need for the week and they're happy. And that really works well for the capitalist model of like more and more and more and more because they're always returning kind of thing. Right. And then I have friends who have depression and they will use psilocybin once or twice a year. How, did, how the fuck do you build a business on that? Like, you, you, you know, you're consuming something once or twice a year versus like daily or weekly, like you might with cannabis kind of thing. So I, I, I do totally think that um, the pharmaceutical industry is always like vultures, you know, circling like the dead carcass on the side of the road. Totally. Um, but are they really going to like, like, is this really going to be profitable to them? Like, you, you know, the guy, like the, the guy that created like big razors and lighters and um, pens, he said like, he, like the best business model is creating something that people use all the time and, and that they need to replace all, all the time. Mm. Psychedelics, not really, not really like a, it, it's not like, Zoloft or Prozac, where where you're taking it every day, kind kind of thing forever, like they want you to. Yeah. Um. It, it is a very dramatic short term intervention. Um. And, and and I can maybe anticipate like in the beginning, there being like a lot of people doing this all at once, but they're not going to come back. Like, it's not going to be a daily thing. It's not going to be a weekly thing. It's going to be a, a once or twice a year kind of thing. And I don't like, how does that look in your spreadsheet? Like, I, I, I'm not like a business major, so I'm not going like to pretend like to understand how that's going to work for them or the long-term benefits of that. Like, just as an outsider, like, it, like there's just like a big question mark in the back of my head around that. So yeah, seems a little, seems a little bizarre. I would, I would, I would, um, you know, history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. And my good friend, Benjamin George always says, it's not so much that we're going in the circle. It's that we're going in this helical model. So we're always moving up, but even though we're going around Mm -hmm. and I, I would forecast and what's scary to me, is that especially in medicine, if you look at all these crazy commercials people have, they're like, look, yeah. you get a puppy and you're in the yeah. roses yeah. and this girl and loves you. Like, uh, explosive you diarrhea kind yeah. of thing. Yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so if we look at that model of like, it's all marketing. 
I think what you'll see when it comes to psilocybin is, yes, you should do this. You can have great effects doing this twice a year. However, you may want to ask your doctor about a microdose sort of therapy that where you take it every two days and you take this patch every two days and this one every three days. It's like a nicoderm patch. Like once the marketing get, gets involved, I think you're going to see an onslaught of sort of weekly dosing or biweekly dosing that, and then you're going to get into these different analogs, you get into this patch and mm. you know, it's going to go from, it's going to go from this ceremonial fashion twice a year around your friends and people that care about you to a wake up, slap on the patch and have a great day sort mm. of a thing. And I, it just seems that marketing, I think it was Steve jobs who talked about, you know, the reason companies die is because the product, the engineers lose and marketing takes over. And the same thing can, can happen with drugs. If you look at the mm -hmm. way the shot mm -hmm. is rolled out, or you look uh, okay. at the way the stuff's rolled out, you know, I, okay. and that's, that's kind of scary to me in some ways. Okay. So, so that kind of, let me backpedal uh, a yeah, little please. bit about my, um, my academic upbringing. Uh, my, my, um, one of the, like, I think, I think like the first journal article I was published in was, um, um, American Indian enculturation mm -hmm. scale. Um, and you, you know, in indigenous cultures, there's, um, in the U S right. There's like peyote and psilocybin in okay. ayahuasca, Southern America, right. Peru. Okay. Um, and there's, okay. So there's this kind of experience that you go into. Um, and this kind of maybe religious cultural experience that's kind of more collectivistic in nature. Um, so like you, you have an ego death experience, you, you come out of it um, and your ego comes back in line. You know, it's like, nice, nice try, George. You, you, you tried to kill me. I'm still um, here. I'm still here. Like, you, you know, like, you got to go to work. You got family. You got bills to pay. Like you got shit to do, George. <laughs> yeah. Um, and like, fuck, like okay, like I'm always going to be stuck with myself. Like I'm always going to be there. But but you had you've just had this really spiritual, magical, um, ethereal experience, and and, and you kind of have to like maybe renegotiate your relationship with yourself and how you talk to yourself uh, about yourself to kind of navigate like it's hard to feel unworthy and like unlovable after that kind of transformative experience. Um, but if, if you're thinking about this through the lens of a, a, a medical setting, so, okay. Yeah. So you, you go to a therapist's office, you, you, you do psilocybin and then you go back home. All right. If you try to talk to this about your neighbor about it or your spouse or, your, your brother or whatever, you're going to sound like, like fucking crazy. Like, they're going to be like, what, whatever. Like, what are you talking about, dude? <laughs> um, and, and, and then you think about how these things have been kind of part of the culture in different, like, indigenous settings throughout history. These are often like a, a rites of passage situation yeah. where you it's like a bar mitzvah or something right yep. you, you you hit a certain age you, you you go do the thing you come out you you return to your community and everyone in your community ha has had that experience 
So these things aren't necessarily like um, helpful for like uh, the traditional Western European HIPAA model uh, uh, of intervention that values privacy and secrecy and and confidentiality kind of thing. That there is kind of like you look at the more collectivistic kind of societies and how these things are kind of helpful in like, oh yeah, we're all in this together. Um, yeah, maybe I shouldn't open that, um, you know, Amazon, Amazon, uh, facility, you know, facility where I'm paid 80 times more than you are (laughs) kind of thing. Right. Um, and, and, because you you do want to kind of think about the the whole and the collective and the community that you're a part of versus like the Western medical thing. So yeah, they might be able to um, take the trip out of a psychedelic experience and develop compounds where um, you don't have the that kind of spiritual kind of experience that and it can create like a, a medical access thing but like is that really what we're missing as a culture or are we missing the idea that we're all in it together and that you know a rising tide lifts all ships um like you know like the kumbaya bullshit right like we yeah. we, we, we we gotta um there is a value kind of um difference between the two um so yeah sure go for it try, try to do you know manipulate yeah. these things and do whatever and expect that you're going to get the results but i, I i'm very doubtful yeah I, I have a friend in finance that um i was speaking to him about mushrooms and psilocybin and I was telling him like, Hey, I think maybe you might be able to benefit from this. And he, he told me, quote, like, I can't do this because it just, it really makes me realize what I'm doing is wrong. And I'm like, yeah, that's why you yeah, should do yeah, more yeah. of it. dude. <laughs> yeah, that's I why know. I'm telling you, you need it. And that's <laughs> why maybe you. <laughs> that's why people are going to gravitate towards the Maria Sabina's and not the Elon yeah. Musk. Kind of yeah. Thing, right. Yeah, I agree. I, I almost in a way hope to see psilocybin as this Trojan horse that gets into medicine. Like, yeah, you guys, pharmaceutical company, you should definitely use this. And then yeah. all of a sudden, you know, it just opens up and the people yeah. that are in positions of authority, like, what the fuck am I doing? Yeah. God damn it. This is wrong. You know, and, and I, I think that on some level, if we pan back and we take a look at the cultures that came before us, whether it's the Native American cultures or some of the cultures in South America or even some of like the... Um, the tribal cultures that were in European back in the 1500s. Like, I think one thing we're missing that psychedelics shines light on is the, is the ritual use, like the ritual, like the ritual of life Mm -hmm. in modern day has been just wiped away, wiped clean from people's lives. There's no more rites of passage. There's no more Eleusinian mysteries. There's no more, participation in the ritual and and that's the thing that binds us together as a community is this time of sacred time and you know we can all experience the same time if i go through my my own eleusinian mysteries at the age of 15 and then my kid gets to go through it in a way they're experiencing the same time that i did and it's this idea of us connecting and sharing this time that we had even though we've moved past it 
we can still revisit that time by watching our kids go through it or our grandparents getting ready to go through something that one day we'll go through. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is one of the promises that psychedelics holds for me, especially the, 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 um, the psilocybins and the ayahuascas and the, the different types of organic, you know, so the organic yeah. things. That, yes. Thank you very much for that. Yeah. Thank you very much for that. I, um, we got a question for you that came up in the chat that they wanted to address oh, no. you here. Okay. Desmond. Okay. <laughs> I'll put it up on here. The ego is a messed up of terms. Potentially the focus should be on integration of experience and putting your saddle on the ego. Okay. Instead of bracket. Okay. Yeah. So like, um, yeah, ego, ego death is kind of like a very, like, like a term that's like sure subjective right um so maybe yeah let me explain this a little bit when i when i use the term ego death i i think about it as like um you know our left hemisphere and our right hemisphere of our brains are always kind of communicating with each other and, and we throw a monkey wrench in it for an hour and, and um certain parts areas of our brain that aren't necessarily talking to each other are, are are talking to each other and, and that's a very subjective I I experience um or, uh, and there's a lot of people out there who don't like the term ego death I, I like it i, I get yeah. where you're going um but i i will tell you like there have been moments in like during like my ketamine treatments where like i had no idea what my social security number was or what my um you know where i was born what my address was and, and, and I was just kind of plugged into this existence of reality of thinking like, yeah, dude, like the energy that's running through the tree is the same energy that's running through me and we're all the same, you know, life is life kind of thing. That That's what I mean, you know, by ego death. Um, it's a very subjective term, you know, of course, scientific scientifically isn't something you can like quantify right. it, it's a very qualitative um kind of thing in, in the um looking through the lens of science um and and, and that is the interesting thing because this is a very spiritual kind of um experience of like where you just kind of have to submit and surrender in the phenomenological experience that you go through that there's some sort of therapeutic thing happening there. Um, and this is the same thing that we run into when we're studying like the therapeutic relationship. It's like, you can't really quantify like, do you like your therapist or, or do you feel connected to them or, or, or you, you, you know, kind of thing. And, and this is like what makes the social sciences so hard that you kind of do have to have like a, mixed methods approach of the quantitative and the qualitative and trying to capture story and experience with some sort of objective like like uh like um like ptsd assessment or anxiety assessment or depression assessment you know along with it so you can try to kind of capture the two realities happen happening all at once um I will say that I really enjoyed your um, metaphor of the Trojan horse. Um, <laughs> and, and that made me think of this like old, like that old curse, like 
may you always get what you ask for and always ask for what you get <laughs> kind of thing. And I, I like and, and I think that's a, yeah, like what could happen with the pharmaceutical industry? They, they think that, that they can, you know, um, use these medicines and substances to, for their advantage and a lot of money could come in flooding this research and it is probably if they do make money it'll be maybe all up front and then over time it's not going to be that impossible impossible growth model that yeah. capitalism kind of um re relies on um so it'll be interesting to see because we this this stuff is common yeah um there's a lot of money behind it there's a lot of interest behind it and I, I i think people have really had their fill of the kind of the prohibitionist um idea that that really values um uh like uh sobriety that maybe there might be something therapeutic in a non-ordinary state of consciousness that and and Maybe temperance isn't the way to go, kind of thing. That you know, when we turn off these parts of our brain and we have this kind of grand connection with thing, maybe that does keep me in check and keeps me from, you know, exploiting um, the working class people. Yeah, I I really love the the idea of as above so below, and I like to go way out on the woo woo tree sometimes. And like I see the planet as a brain, and I you know if you, if you think about the way in which mycelium grows under the ground and it connects together the different trees and bushes and moves nutrients from A to B, and it looks a lot like a neural network to me when you look at a root structure. Mm -hmm. And I, I I see me talking to you and. Even in this conversation, it may not seem like we're having a huge effect on the pharmaceutical industry, but perhaps we go ahead and we're able to touch on some people that work in the industry or they hear this or they hear this thing. It seems like we are the mycelium growing and introducing ourselves to new networks and changing this. And just our conversation and the amount of conversations had and the Proposition 122 and these different voting things that are happening, it almost seems that the same way psilocybin affects the ego, so too has it introduced us as its agents to affect the populace. And like we are changing. Like look at the world of look at the world of ego that's slowly becoming ridiculous. Like this, we're gonna fight in the Ukraine about resources. We'll fight to the last Ukrainian. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, like what are you guys doing? Like just knock it off. Like there's so yeah, much yeah. more we can do. And like people are beginning to wake up and see this, I think. And like mm -hmm. it just makes me thankful to know that we're moving away from Adderall and into psilocybin. And you can feel it in a way. <laughs> there, there, is the, there is the Adderall. Uh, 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 they're running out of Adderall. That's <laughs> Thank goodness. Thank God. <laughs> I, I know, right? Um, yeah, uh, legalized meth. As, as fun yeah. as an idea as that sounds, uh, maybe that's not the best idea. Um, and, and, and I will have, like, tell you stories of, like, people who started microdosing psilocybin and like i'm able to focus more and you know and i can actually go to sleep at a yeah right time and then i don't have that like horrific like hangover effect yeah you know, like it happens and then i'm done I'm like, huh? yeah 
wouldn't that be nice? You, you yeah. know, if you could stop a drug and not have like a, some sort of like dramatic physiological reaction to it. Wouldn't yeah. that be fun? Um, <laughs> not, not the big pharma, but, um, but um, I, I do think that people want that. And, and there's a lot of interest in that. And that's what I do like about the, you know, proposition 122 and, and this kind of, the the um the criminalization aspect that you can grow and gift and um, possess your own because there maybe there is some sort of therape therapeutic value in being able to grow your own medicine yeah well you, you, you know you like I, I tried it once it did not work for me like the the things didn't do like it didn't turn white i i don't know <laughs> and, and, and i just lost interest really quickly but for some people they they really enjoy that and and, and that's part of their like healing process like yeah. these mushrooms that i'm eating i grew on myself and i cared for them i nurtured yeah. them and now you know circle of life you know like uh lion king thing kicks in for yeah. them and, and they and that's very helpful for him versus just like, oh, yeah, I went and got my effects are from, you know, the corner <laughs> Walgreens and um, the person checking me out, you know, just was like, yeah, here's your drug, here's your things, yeah, you know, kind of thing. Um, and, and it's not a very intimate interaction, I guess. You, you, you know, you go to a doctor's office, the doctor, you're lucky to get like 10 minutes at the doctor. Remember that scene in Requiem for the Dream where the doctor yeah. comes in and he barely makes eye contact with her and she's back on her way, you know, with the um, stimulant medication. Yeah. Um, there is not like a really, people don't get that sense of community around like the, the pharmaceutical thing, which is what I think really makes the psychedelic experience different from going to cannabis is that if I'm going to find a facilitator for a psilocybin experience, like I'm going to be like, Hey, is this guy like on the up and up? Is he nice? Is he comforting? Do I feel safe for him with him? Am I able to engage with him? Do I feel seen and heard? Do I feel connected to this guy? Versus the experience of going to like, the neighborhood dispensary where you, you walk in it's a 15 minute experience you, you you know you get some random person behind the the glass counter who's like what do you want and you look at it and you're like, oh take an eighth of that yeah. they give it to you. you you're out the door you know a handful of minutes later and then you don't go home thinking like huh oh, no i wonder how cindy's doing you know, she was a really good bartender. Yeah. You know, you don't really have to have that relationship with buying cannabis that you do, like looking for like a, a psychedelic practitioner that's going to hold space for you. Yeah. And I, look, sometimes I, I romanticize it in ways. And in my mind, like, I know people that grow mushrooms and they're like, Okay, this particular strain of white penis envy, mm -hmm. every morning at 6 a.m. I play all of my love Led Zeppelin, yeah, you know, yeah. because I want this to go to a person who's gonna get all of my mm -hmm. love, you know. And yeah, yeah. There's, there's something to be said. And I know I know that's all subjective and 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 whatever, but that's a cool facilitator that cares enough mm -hmm. about this thing to inject a little bit extra. 
that's, that's maybe they're getting a little more oxygen or something like that. And I, I think that that's the kind of love we need in order to help heal. And like that just plays into the ceremonial part of it. And there's so much that can go with therapy that is beyond the substance we're taking, but do affect the actual therapy you get. Cause I, I think there's an emotional connection between facilitator and patient and yeah. brother and sister and brother and brother. And I, I think a lot of that goes, I wanted to tap in. Are you doing okay on time? I sometimes I can go long. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Okay. So I want to kind of tap into your ideas of, of a native American. And there's a question about society. that's kind of been dogging me a little bit. I'd love to get your perspective on it. And that question is when we look at demographics, there's so many of our older generation in Hawaii, we call them our Kapuna. There's this older generation that's passing on. And whenever, if we look at our planet, like an ecosystem, this huge generation that's, you know, the, the, the boomers are like two oh, to yeah, one yeah, X yeah, and maybe yeah. two to one, the next generation. Mm -hmm. And it seems to me like we're at this just buildup of like, everyone's so on edge. And I'm wondering if that may have to do with the collective anxiety of this older generation facing death. And we know that psychedelics yeah. can help deep, can really help people with this idea of passing on to the next place. And Lord knows there's a lot of us and Lord knows there's a lot of boomers that could benefit from helping this anxiety. But do you think maybe this giant anxiety we're feeling may be connected to the boomers who are facing death in the next, you know, 10, 20, 30 years? Yeah. It's a really interesting thing to think about. Right. So, uh, uh and, and I think there's might be a lot of different things intersecting in, in this conversation. So, um, I, I, I know like from like an American Indian slash indigenous culture that w within a tribe or within a culture mm -hmm. that um, the elders and the youngest are, are viewed as the most sacred because they're the closest to the, the next world, right? Like the, the, the babies have just come from the spirit realm and then the, the elders are like the closest to going there next kind of thing, right? Um, they're, they're the ones going to die next, right? So they're going to go back there. Um, yeah, and, and I do think there's, that's a really powerful, interesting thing to think about because I know I can, it's commonplace, right? For mealtime for those two like you, you, you feed the old and the young first and then everyone else eats after them because they're the most sacred. Um, which for me, I, I think about it and that really resonates with me. Like, yeah, I get that. Yeah, let's see that. Um, so cool there. But then you, you, you think about maybe like how um, maybe that value system is it always present in, in the lives of americans you, you you get to a certain age and then you go to a nursing home and mm. let, let's keep our fingers crossed like the nursing home i go to isn't featured on like a segment of 60 minutes yeah kind of thing right and, and and there's not really it's not really valued and, and your value is placed on capital and work and production and income kind of thing. Um, and, and you just hope that like that you'll be important, right? W yeah. When you get older. Um, 
And, and I don't, that's a kind of a new phenomenon, you, you know, when we look at, you know, the, the time span of history kind of thing. Um, and it's really interesting too, because we, you know, we look at um, the boomers and then, you know, the World War II greatest generation that came before them. And that was so much of their identity was like, uh, like I, I was a veteran of this battle and I did this and, um, and, and maybe the way our, our society was structured, right? Like I, I know like my grandparents and my parents and that generation, they could have three kids and not have a college degree and they could get good jobs and have a really good economic kind of history or uh, future to look forward to. And, and now we see a lot of anxiety uh, around um, that situation because now uh, a college degree is kind of equivalent to a, a high school degree once upon yeah. a time kind of yep. thing. And um, I, I know I get like, when, when I start talking about like student loan forgiveness and everything, like people a couple, three decades older than me, they're like, well, I could pay for it. And I was like, well, how much should, were you paying for a credit hour? Like, you know, like $5, right? Like college was so much cheaper and accessible then. So we are seeing a lot of kind of economic tension and, and stress and, and anxiety uh, around that. And, and when you come, maybe grow up in an idea of like, um, like you work and you pull yourself up by your bootstraps and that you're kind of, you know, you're, you're the, this Horatio Alger myth of, you know, <laughs> if you just work hard enough that, that everything's going to work out for you. I, I, people are having a lot more anxiety and skepticism around that idea. Um, and there, there is going to have to be some sort of like collective awakening or shift out of this idea of like individualism, like, you know, you're, you're on your own kind of thing, because you're right. Like the baby boomers are getting old. Um, I don't, and there's significantly amount less uh, Gen X, Gen Z, millennials, um, and, and it, it, it's not going to be like it was 40 years ago when there were a small amount of like the greatest generation amount of yeah. people and so many baby boomers that were able to take care of such a smaller population before them. Now we're in a very top heavy top heavy um, societal structure. And I, I, I'd be scared too if, if I was a part of that generation. Um, and they are going to be like, sorry, you're, you're going to be dependent on our charity as, <laughs> as a younger generation, like when it comes to your yeah. well-being kind of thing. Like I'm not saying like it's going to go to that idea, like the extent of Soylent Green, but, 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 but you, you better hope that we collectively like 
want to, that we value you and that you, you, you maybe present yourself in a way that we do value you because sometimes the uh, baby boomer population is very arrogant and very entitled. Yes. And they, and, and they think that the younger generations are going to hand them the world on a silver platter like it was for the World War II generation. And uh, you, you need to turn up the cuteness a little bit <laughs> um, <laughs> if you want that to pan out for you. Um, sorry. Yeah, uh, there's there's a I agree. And, and I worry because I, you know, I my parents are boomers and, you know, I I think there's still a lot of boomers in positions of authority that are still holding on to, to whatever it is they're holding on to. And I, I fear, you know, the attitude of the oldest generation is this idea of just pull yourself up, just work harder. What's wrong with you? You yeah, can yeah, do, you know, I know. And it's it wouldn't like, that be fun if that worked. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Look, it's, it's not working. And this whole idea, you know, what else isn't working? This idea that we farm off our grandparents to a, a home, yeah, the yeah. parents go to work and the kids go somewhere else. Like we've destroyed the yeah, family. Yeah, yeah. And when you do that, guess what? When it's your time to be taken care of, that whole process has been destroyed. I, yeah. I, I think you can see, I, I really hope people in positions of authority and power begin to change their ways because I see a wave of elder abuse that could be breaking upon everyone. When all the wealth is locked up here, mm -hmm. when all these old school's ideas of, well, I did it, you know, when, when there's no sort of looking down at people and saying, God dang it, I, sh I should be helping these people instead of just flaunting how much I have. Like there's a real soylent green aspect to it. And I, mm -hmm. th that part of the future, I think, is something that you can see it, but I think it can be avoided if we start to look at ourselves as more of a collective than independence because that road goes down a road that is flanked on both sides by mm -hmm. barbed wire and prickly berries yeah. and you know like mud bogs and stuff so it, 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 it's, a, it's a fun idea when you have the idea of like ooh i'm gonna be young forever kind of thing yeah, yeah and, yep. you know kind of that's some other people that's not me yeah kind of thing and isn't right. it weird how there's this like there's so much money just being pushed into the world of of keeping people young forever like people are grasping at straws now like yeah, yeah we can yeah. live we can transhumanize this we'll be forever it's like <laughs> yeah, no you I can't yeah, yeah, yeah. there's no fountain of youth we yeah. figured that out in the 1500s yeah. you yeah, might yeah, live yeah. to 80 you might get 100 but yeah, yeah. you're still going <laughs> yeah yeah no yeah yeah um so yeah there does need to be some sort of collective mass shift in consciousness yeah. and awareness and compassion um and I, I, I do think there is hope within the psychedelic space that, that can be facilitated and, and nurtured and, and growing just because, um, you know, I, like my parents and aunts and uncles, the, the boomers or whatnot, like, like they remember mushrooms. They remember LSD and they're not like, now that they like know better, they're, they're more open to it. And they're yeah. like, yeah, like, God damn it, Nancy Reagan took all our drugs away from us. Like, like well, we, we need to get that shit back. You know, like, yeah. Okay. So what can we do to do that? Um, so let's, you, you, you know, I, I do think that, that 
we, we can have a trauma reaction looking at like big tobacco and cannabis and just anticipate the worst in the people or we can maybe increase the access to psychedelics and maybe just take a leap of faith that like maybe this could be helpful and, and it can yeah. open like the floodgates of compassion and understanding and connection and, and that you, you know the asshole that's you know running like a marlboro or a philip norris or um uh the, the the green dragon or whoever uh the cannabis people here are won't be the same people like in the psychedelic space and maybe they'll they'll have our best interests in in mind and that maybe they'll want healing because maybe the people doing this work have had trauma and they've gone through their own healing and and those are the people being called into this work um so you, you're going to have to have trust like because if you don't have trust in like the the collectiveness of everything right like, are you really advocating for psychedelics uh. yeah i like that i i think maybe we need the opposite of the just say no campaign and maybe it could be the just say yes campaign yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly and you, you know so i i, I got to do my due diligence you know psychedelics yeah. isn't if you have like if you're at risk for schizophrenia or schizoaffective disorder yeah. if you're like actively manic these are not the things for you it can make things worse. So that's the other reason why we need regulation. Yeah. Is to, you know, do that education about like, you know, like, uh, let, let, let's, let's figure out a, a different path for you, but I don't want to make you worse. Right. Uh, Desmond, you recently, pro you recently presented a paper at the, um, Manas, Pre okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Can we talk about that a little bit? What was that paper about? Yeah. So that was about I, I, ayahuasca and mental health. Um, it minus is, um, was a conference by the Colorado Ayurvedic Medical Association, which I had never heard of Ayurvedic medicine until like a year ago. Um, they reached out to us, which is like an indigenous Eastern Indian uh, form of uh, medical intervention. Um, and, and basically like my overview was just kind of giving a history of the psychedelic criminalization, like I talked about with like, um, uh, Cecil, uh, Jacobson and Albert Laverne, and, and then kind of maybe, um, what the ayahuasca experience is and, you know, how it's more of a community based collective experience versus kind of like the, the Johns Hopkins um, MD, uh, psilocybin, the MAPS, MDMA, kind of more individualized, like HIPAA medical setting kind of thing and, and how people um, might gravitate towards one treatment approach towards the other treatment approach, or they might want to kind of go back and forth between the two. Um, yeah, and, and I think that we, it's okay that I don't know which one's going to be the best or the, the most yeah. effective. It's okay. 
Um, but people do deserve autonomy and, and people have sometimes an intuition about which one's going to be, which one they're drawn to and which one, which experience they want. And, um, how do we get people, you know, to what's calling them and, um, and how do we make sure that the people that we're sending them to are adequately trained yeah. that, you know, and how to prepare and what to expect. And, and then that are there for like the, the post integration work of like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you had this really cool. You got to hang out with God for an hour and now like it's Tuesday and you're going back to work and, um, you want to flip off the guy next to you in traffic kind of thing. Like what's going to change kind of thing. Um, so there, there's gotta be kind of, uh, you, you just can't expect like to have like a, a, you know, three to eight hour psychedelic experience. And then that, everything's just going to magically go away. You, you, you know, you have to prepare for it. You have to have the experience. And then you have to kind of learn from the experience, talk to someone about it, and and work on developing behavioral lifestyle changes. Because after these treatments, you do have increased like uh, neuroplasticity and neurogenesis. And your brain is a little bit more plastic or malleable for a handful of days. So any type of behavioral or lifestyle change that you want to make it is more likely to become habit or routine. You, you, you know, like that. You, an example I give is like, oh yeah, like I went to the gym the next day and I really didn't have that like, oh fuck, I don't want to go to the gym and work out kind of thing. And, oh, I went and I actually enjoyed it. It, it was nice. Um, so like, it's helpful to be able to talk to someone and to kind of anticipate these things and like set your, to have someone like a coach or whoever to set you up for success, you know, after these experiences. So you aren't dependent on them. Like, you know, ideally, like, um, you know, they say like in the psychedelic community, sometimes like you are the medicine, right? Like, um, you, um, you're your own medicine, you, 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 you know, psilocybin and ayahuasca. Um, yeah, they're medicines too, but you, you're your own healer. We all, we all have our own natural propensity towards healing and growth, right? If I get a cut on my finger that I, I, I don't do anything for it to heal, you, 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 you know, like I don't have to look at it, will it to happen? My body has a natural propensity for healing. Um, that doesn't mean I won't ever get a wound that requires medical attention. I, I, I might have to go to a doctor and he might prescribe me an antibiotic to remove the infection. He might stitch the skin together. He might put a covering over it. Um, the doctor doesn't cause the healing. He, he, he just creates the conditions for the healing to happen. And, and, and if you can extrapolate from that, how this intervention works is it's not the ayahuasca that causes the healing or the psilocybin or the ketamine or mescaline or whatever the substance is, or, or it's not me as the therapist 
you know, holding space for you. You're doing the healing. I'm just creating a safe container for the healing to happen within that your your thoughts and feelings and trauma trauma can come up like emotional debris and shrapnel and I can pull it out here and there as much as I can and I can I can ask some really fun questions from time to time um, but but you're, you're but you're driving the car kind of thing um, so you, you, you know it's um, Part of this intervention, these interventions and medicines is kind of maybe keeping my ego in check as a person that I'm not the one like, like, you have to come to me or else like, you know, like, like, I'm the only one that can do this bullshit kind of thing. No, it's the people I work with that are doing their own healing and and their own work. And, and, And I'm just kind of like the like I said, like the sassy co- like person in, in the um, passenger seat kind of thing. Like maybe turn left here, turn right <laughs> there kind of thing. But they're they're ultimately the one driving, you know, the d- direction of it. Um, so that's the. I, I I I do think I'm always a little skeptical and hesitant of people who feel like like they're the authorities and they're the experts. In this, uh, yikes! Um, is it about you, or is it about you know the the, the thing? Um, so I, I I do think that these conversations in, in these different medical communities can really help to kind of maybe keep our own egos in check and to kind of um, think outside of like the traditional Western point point of thing where. You, you go in and you spent 15 minutes with the psychiatrist and now you're on lithium kind of thing. And, and like, oh, well, the doctor said I should take it kind of thing. Yeah, in some ways the doctors do that are are harming their patients more than helping them. Like, I, I really like the way you put that. That was beautiful. Like, that, maybe that, sh- that should be the idea of medicine is to make sure this person never comes back to me instead of making sure this person always comes back to me. Like, in a way, the therapist is almost transmuting themselves as the medicine. I guess maybe that's where the ego comes in. Like, look what I did for this person. Like, yeah. you didn't do anything for him. You made him come back to you every single thing. You made him dependent on you instead of making him independent. Yeah, and I, I will say, look, too, you, you know, like, I'm always, like, sometimes I do cringe. Like, I'll be, like, in a meeting with the psychedelic community, and there's, like, some, like, 28-year-old, 25-year-old guy walks in. And he's like, hey, y'all, like, you're lucky I'm here. Uh, last month I did some mushrooms and they told me that I'm a shaman now. Like, I'm, I'm here. You're welcome. Um, like, and they expect like, like, like just to like, like the, the red carpet to be rolled out for them. Um, and, and, and that's the tricky thing about this work is that, yeah, like, I, I, I don't know. Like, do I know anything more than someone else? I don't know. Yeah, I went to school for a while. Cool. Um, but but I maybe I should like be in the business of teaching myself out of a job or giving people the tools and you know the uh, experiences and um, you know it's that idea that um, how we get there and how 
um, and what that process looks like. You know, there's that old, old story about the, um, like the Buddhist monk who was like living in a cage out or not in a cage in a cave somewhere. And he just spent his entire like day in day out in isolation every morning, like the, like a, a nun would come leave a bowl of rice outside the cave. He'd eat the bowl of rice, go back and meditate. And then, like, he did this for 10 years, day in, day out. And then, like, he heard, like, oh, the Buddha is giving a sermon out on this island. So the guy gets all excited. He wants to go see the Buddha and hear the sermon. And he starts to walk on the water to the island where the Buddha is giving the sermon. He gets halfway there, and he sinks. And he swims back to the shore, returns to his cave, does the whole, like, thing for another 10 years kind of thing. Ten years later, he hears, oh, yeah, the Buddha's back on the island, you know, giving the sermon again. Um, and this time, the guy gets excited. He does it again, and he actually gets there. And he, he sees the Buddha, and he's so excited. And, and he tells him, like, yeah, like, I, I've been at this for 20 years. After the first 10 years, I, I couldn't get there. And then I tried it again this time, and I was so pure and clean that I was able to actually make it across the thing. Um and then the Buddha turns to him. He's like, well, you, you know, the fairy only costs five cents, right? <laughs> um, you, 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 you can get there. You don't have to, like, beat yourself or, like, to punish yourself. Like, <laughs> you don't have to see me for, like, 20 years. Mm -hmm. you, you, you know, maybe a psychedelic yeah. can help you get <laughs> to where you're going, you, you, you know, a little quicker than traditional talk therapy can. Um isn't that an interesting idea, right? Yeah, it's a great story. Yeah. Yeah, I think so much of us find ourselves holding ourselves back for whatever reason, for self-loathing or it's an excuse of some way or it's we don't feel like we're we don't feel like we're good enough to do it. You know, there's all this <laughs> things that we have inside of us that stop us from getting to a spot where we could be at tomorrow if we just let ourselves do it and like that's a big part of therapy, you know, and I, yeah, yeah, it, it's interesting to think about. I'm, I'm always curious as to the way we could be if we just let our, if we just got out of our own way. And in some ways, I think that's what psychedelics can do for you. Like, there's mm -hmm. at least in some of my experiences, you know, whether I keep a journal and I write down my intentions before an experience, or sometimes I'll just go into an experience, some of the for me, the best ways I have found is to write down in a journal prior to my experience what it is that's been bothering me, what it is that I've been thinking about, what it is that I want to accomplish. And then if I if I find if I write that down in my experience, I may not get the answer to all of them. I may get a roundabout answer to something, but I feel like it helps me at least get on the right path to what I want to be about. And Coming yeah. out of it, I always do like a like a, a decoding or a, a debriefing on myself. And it maybe take a day or maybe take a few days. But I always find some really good nuggets of truth. Even if it's not exactly what I talked about, it seems to be things that I can work on. And sometimes it's things I didn't even write down. And I'm like, oh, son of a gun. You know, maybe I have been a little bit too much detail-oriented in my life lately. Maybe I should be pulling back and looking at the big picture. But. Yeah, it's it's an awesome therapy to think about, and it was, so yeah, you're right, and, and and I don't 
say what I said before to kind of maybe minimize or to kind of um, uh, undermine the importance of therapy. Because I, I, I do find that people who have done a lot of talk therapy and that go into the psychedelic space, they, they often get uh, more impactful outcomes than the people who've never done any type of talk therapy. And when I talk to them, I'm like, you know, there is some sort of intellectual scaffolding yeah, that, 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 that can happen, <clears throat> right? Um, you, you, you know, like intellectually, I can understand like, yeah, like I didn't deserve to be abused. I deserve love. But, but that doesn't mean like no one's ever going to love me. Uh, and, you, you know, like, I'm always going to like, end up in the, like the worst relationship and you, you know my my feelings might not necessarily drive w w with that intellectual uh, understanding and you know an example i give is in, in graduate school um i did that dissertation on forgiveness and i um spent years researching reading writing papers about forgiveness and then at some point and I stumbled upon like psilocybin mushrooms, like my second or third year of my doctoral program. And I was in the, the ideal psychedelic psilocybin induced space. And I had the right Bjork song came on. It was very ethereal, very healing, very like angelic. And, and then all these thoughts and feelings about forgiveness came up. And I could finally understand everything uh, on an emotional level. Like I had, I had that scaffolding there in place, and now I could understand it because I was thinking about like, you know, the indigenous culture, you know, that it came from, and my grandma's trauma and how her trauma impacted how she parented my mom, and how that impacted how my mom parented me and in this, this understanding and acceptance of like not taking it personal and this kind of understanding that you know there's a context from that everything that you know all the struggles they put me through that they had their own struggles and I, I, I can't take that personal and I don't know if I would have ever had that without the, the psilocybin experience um, I, I Sure, I understood things on a very intellectual, dry, academic level. You, you, you know, I, I, my dissertation was, I, I, I graduated. It was good <laughs> enough, I, I guess. The, the people reading it said I knew what I was doing. But, but I, I didn't have the, that kind of spiritual, phenomenological, subjective I, I experience of it. And that is the magic uh, uh, of these interventions is that you, you know you you do the work and you do the research and you prepare and, and you bring in all the tools and all the knowledge that you've kind of accrued you, you, you know over the years into this moment and it is kind of like a roulette wheel to some degree you know you're you're spinning the wheel and the ball is going to fall you know where it falls but we we can have how many tips do we have to put on the board, you know, for you? Because wherever that ball is going to fall, it's going to help you out, buddy. Um, so the more tips we have to put on the board, 
you know, the, the lucky you are going to be going into this experience. Um, because yeah, because sometimes people just have that experience and, uh, well, I didn't feel anything kind of thing, <laughs> you, you know, and it's like, that's just yeah. yeah. Well, it sounds to me like there's this integration of doing the work academically and then bringing it together with the spiritual side. And it, it, when I look at the world today, so much of medicine has become specialization. Mm -hmm. Like everyone wants to be a specialist because that's where the money is. And everyone has these in, in, in all kinds of life. It's this specialization. And we've gotten so specialized that this hand is not even talking to this hand because yeah, it's, so, yeah. it's almost different languages. Mm -hmm. We need that spiritual nature to combine them. And when you told the story about how you've done all this work, you've, you've You've read the books, you've read the essays, you've talked to the teachers, you've got the academic down. And then all of a sudden you have this spiritual realization that connects them. I think that the, where we're moving to, and I'm hopeful this is accurate, is the, the recombination or the rebirth of spiritual nature and academic nature coming back together. So it's like we're reconnecting and we can have this idea of a real maybe religious ceremony, but I like spiritual better. Like the, the rebirth of spiritual and science coming back together allows us to become whole again. I feel like we've been so segregated and so split apart. And it's, I, I love the way you explained it, how all of a sudden you've got this spiritual side of it. And I think that's what makes you a, probably a good healer and a, an awesome person. At least in this conversation, I'm really getting to understand how cool of a person you are because you do understand. You have had these experiences. Hey, this happened to my grandma. This happened to my mom. And now it happened to me. And now I can kind of let go. So sometimes you have to let go so that you can understand. And like, think about the words like you let go so you can understand and look. Yeah. It's almost like you have to let go and drop down. Then you're understanding the situation that you can see and like that's what healing's about and i think that that is one place medicine is failing is they're failing to let go and what do psychedelics do they help you let go <laughs> yeah exactly so there's an idea ideology that i kind of draw upon when i do this work with people is what's sometimes called parts work mm -hmm. right and it's the idea that we we have these different parts of ourselves that we're always kind of managing, right? You know, there's a part of me that wants to eat cookies all day and thinks that's a really good idea, right? Yeah, that sounds like a really good idea. But there's another part of me too that wants to fit my pants and, you know, live at the gym. And neither of, the, neither of those things are obtainable, realistic things that I can do. But, but I can like, yeah, I can have two cookies a day and maybe run half a mile or, or something right and do and be healthy uh, but but i i can learn to kind of moderate between these two different parts of myself right um and we we, we do kind of have to think about things like on that level like an integrative approach doesn't necessarily mean that we combine the two together like the, the two parts don't necessarily have to to, to to be one part at, at some point. Just like I, I have a heart and I have a liver, I, I, I don't want to integrate those two parts because my heart does one thing and my liver does something else kind of thing. And, and, and I need both of them. And, and I'm a collection of parts, right? And yeah, okay, so I'm a I'm a male, LGBT, indigenous psychologist, and um, 
this decade and I, I have this socioeconomic background and I, um, I have a lot of different parts. And, and there's a spiritual part and, and, and then there's a part of me that wants to go watch comic book movies and, and everything, right? And I, I, I have to value all, all those things because they're all a, a part of my identity and I can't, you know, I have to manage them the best I can. And, and that's the neat thing about this intervention is that it does kind of let you those parts come up to you in a very upfront, sometimes uh, abrasive, aggressive, like, oh, like, Oh, what did, why did I say that to them? And like, why did I, oh, that was so, I was so awful. I was so gross in that. And, and you have to look at those things. Um, and, and you kind of have to work with them, grow with them, and, and renegotiate your relationship with them. Because it, it's like any type of family dynamic or, uh, or group dynamic. Once your relationship with one part changes, it, it's going to change how your relationship with your other parts, like your, your relationship with your other parts, just like, you, you know, if you're in a family system and um, son and dad team up against mom and, and mom's always never gets what she wants kind of thing. And, you, you know, they, they go to pizza, they like, we're going to pizza hut and mom never gets to go to Kentucky fried chicken or whatever. Right. And, and then one day, like son, and lines with mom, like, no, we're going to Kentucky Fried Chicken, right? That changes your relationship with dad and his ability to go to Pizza Hut kind of thing. So it, it's that same idea, like, with the parts you have within yourself. Like, once I change my relationship with my angry, you know, bitter part of myself, mm -hmm. that's going to naturally impact my relationship with my forgiving, compassionate um understanding part of myself and, and, and I'm going to have to work on that because I, I can't identify with, with, with the angry part all the time. And so, you, you know, there is this kind of maybe shift that we need in, in the medical community of like wellness and wholeness kind of thing. And like, you, you know, we're, you, you know, your cardiologist has to talk, you know, if yeah. your dermatologist or the other people who, who are helping ma manage whatever is going on with you. Um, and you're right, we, this idea that the, these two specialties can kind of operate independently from each other and, and that you're going to come out better at the end of it. Yeah, maybe that's something we, we, we need to think differently about. Yeah, I, I I think we're, I really think we're on the cusp of fundamentally changing the world in which we live. And I, there's so much, there's a lot of bleak news out there. But when I have conversations like this, and uh, over the last few years with my work with psychedelics, like I, I really see a bright future emerging. And I, I, I do liken it to a birth, you know, birth, there's a lot of tragedies that happen in the birth canal. There's a lot of times when something new emerges into a new form and these things that we, that we see dying around us, whether it's a lot of the boomer generation or whether it's these ideas of, of chaos and war, like it really seems like a new birth is happening. And I, I believe it is. And I believe that in the next 
10 or 20 years, we're going to look back at this time as magical. Like, oh my gosh, now I understand what was happening. Now I see. And just talking to you, I I can see the revolution happening in medicine and the Trojan horse. Like you and I, you and I can see this image of happening and other people are like, yeah, we're, this is business as usual, but I'm really looking forward. The the earth is imploding on itself as we talk, as we're talking, having this conversation, right? And if the shit doesn't happen sooner rather than later, like, what's going to happen right um yeah so this is there is a sense of urgency behind this and hopefully you know we we rise to the occasion and we meet the demand of the moment i i I guess right and yeah and i'm glad we stumbled upon each other and we got the um and you invited me to do this conversation today this is fantastic. I, I'm, I'm having a blast. And I, I got my goal is to have some more panels coming up where we do parts work with different people, but as a whole. So I'll yeah, invite yeah. you back and we can have some other discussions. And um, But before we go, because we're landing this plane here, Desmond, uh-huh. what do you have? Where can people find you? What do you have coming up and what are you excited about? Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, so right now, I'm just like, Tuesday, like, please just <laughs> get here and, and uh, over. Uh, this election cycle. Um, I, I, I really don't do, like, like it's really embarrassing. Like, I don't have a website. I, I don't advertise. Like, like I, I started working for myself like three or four months ago. Um, I'm already like, I'm not like, I, 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 I'm busy enough. Right. Um, so word of mouth has been really helpful for me. Um, so uh, you can email me, I, I, I guess. So my name's Desmond Wallington. Growing up, everyone called me Desi, D-E-S-I. Um, my email is Desi, D-E-S-I, Delix, D-E-L-I-C-S, at Gmail. So if something I said was really interesting or profound to you, but that's how you can reach out to me, and um, that's how you can find me. I, I don't have a website, as embarrassing as that is because i get that asked like once or twice a, a week and i'm like well i i don't have time for a website and like i really don't like like business is biz, business is healthy enough and that i don't I haven't had to create a website that doesn't mean it's not coming or it won't ever come i, I just don't have anything you found me on linkedin yep look for desmond wallington on linkedin you, you can connect with me there um so did i answer the question Absolutely. It was perfect. And the interview was awesome. I really thank you for your time. And um, we'll talk again soon. I'll put all those links in the show notes for everybody to say. And I want to say thank you to everybody that took a few moments to participate in the chat. Yeah, really enjoyed it. And um, reach out to Desmond and and ask him some questions and reach out to me and ask me some questions. And we really look forward to making the world we live in a little bit better. So that's what we got for today. Thank you, Mr. The Full Monty.
Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge, and I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now, and it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true, but you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision and I hope you all conquer it and I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better, your life will be better and you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.